Quarantine Cocktail Hour presents When the Levy Broke. installment of When the Levy Broke, the quarantine cocktail hour spinoff where we talk to real life, real interesting non-celebrities about the watershed moments in their musical history and the intersection of life and music. Today's guest is Martin Campbell, aka Fart Martin Milk Carton for 2069. Martin. Martin jumps out of airplanes into raging wildfires for a living. In his off time, he's a seeker. A seeker of POW for his snowboard. A seeker of curl for his surfboard. And a seeker of projects that he can do himself. Yeah, he's like the most do-it-yourself human being I've ever known. He builds his own snowboards. I'm pretty sure he even built the press to make his own snowboards. He built his bathroom out of a solid chunk of granite or marble or something out of rock. But I, I saw some videos. It was insane. I don't know why you don't just get tiles already cut. I wouldn't be surprised if Someday he told me the conception story of his daughters and it entailed building a laboratory in his basement where he artificially grew his children in test tubes into the beautiful flowers that they are today. But a lot of that do-it-yourself ethic came out of Martin's early love and obsession for punk rock and punk rock culture. And uh, you're going to hear a lot about that today. Martin is the first person on this podcast that I have known my whole life. You'll hear about that too. And though Martin and I really tried to stay away from some of the remember that time when stories. Um, like that time when after school every day in the spring we'd change out of our regular clothes and dress up like butt rockers, then go out to the high school parking lot, hang out on the hood of his car, blasting Guns N' Roses and mean mugging all of our friends as they walked by. <laughs> yeah, we did that. It was funny to other people for like two days. By week five, I think it was just funny to us and, you know, gave us some time to hang out, chat about the day, decompress. And hopefully a lot of the other stories that we kind of share in this episode will kind of be along those lines. Stories that are, that are relatable to everyone. Anyone who's been a kid growing up trying to find their identity. Especially when you realize you just don't really fit in or you don't want to fit in to a lot of the different groups that are around you. Our story is our story, but I think that it's everyone's story in many ways as well. 
we were just lucky to have each other through it all. Not that we didn't have other friends. We both had multiple, we both had friends. But we both found in each other a, a companion in, in oddballness and also a good balance. Martin's always been a little more straight, a little more goal-oriented, a little bit more driven than I have. For instance, for our senior project, we made a movie in the vein of kind of like a jackass, CKY, snowboard, skate films, kind of put it all together. And to be honest, uh, in retrospect, what we did was um, kind of kind of singular. I haven't really seen anyone else kind of tie together something like we did for that project. Um, we're geniuses, but I digress. And Martin will claim to this day that he did all the quote-unquote work. And while Martin did, you know, technically do all the work, i.e. like holding the camera, editing on the computer, etc., it was me who was sitting right there the whole time telling him where to point the camera. Telling them, and it wouldn't be funny if we did this right here. And you know, also just breaking up the monotony with stories, changing out the music. I think that that's a good partnership. Two sides of the same coin. It's kind of a balance that, whether we know it or not, we subconsciously seek out in relationships with other humans. Someone who has kind of the same vision, but maybe can offer something that you can't. Anyway. It's all come full circle because I'm the one doing all the work and editing now, sitting here in my van, looking at a computer screen. I don't even have someone by my side to keep the, to keep the tunes fresh, to keep the banter witty. It's okay, I digress. We all evolve, we all grow. And that's something else that you're gonna hear a lot in this episode is that kind of idea of, of evolution. And, and growing as a human being, but still being able to access your past, to remember where you came from, not to live in it, not to, not to just hang out in nostalgia, but to be able to have cues and markers that can help you access pieces of you, to help you understand who you are now and where you can go and the importance of these balances. So, without further ado, how punk rock saved Martin Campbell's life. Right on. Pretty, pretty, pretty good looking man you got there. Thanks man. Yeah, dude. Inside the mobile recording studios here. Mm. Uh, good. How you doing, dude? Good. Martin. Surviving the times. Martin Campbell, surviving, surviving the times. Uh, yeah, I had to move my. Sorry, I'm late. I had to. I did have to try to poo. To it was pretty unsatisfying. And then um, I had to move my van closer to the part of my house where the router is. Because mm -hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't get any. Couldn't get any bars in the back. I understand. So must be a big night. Big streaming night. The problem with recording right here is like my neighbor's door is right here. Whenever I'm out here, like he comes out and like mills around. I'm pretty sure he thinks I'm like cooking meth in here. 
Uh, probably thinks that you're trying to steal his uh, Wi-Fi for Pornhub. I think he thinks that I'm cooking like small batch artisan meth, like mm. farmer's market meth, you know? Heisenberg. Yeah. Um, no, his, his internet can't be any better than mine. Um, I don't think. I don't know. I should, ch- I should check it out. I should jump on there. See. Yeah, you should see, you should steal it for sure. I'm sure he's like big dog, sixty nine four twenty. Which wasn't that? That was your handle for a bit, right? Fart and Martin. Apparently so. Sixty nine yeah. four twenty. Right on. How you doing, man? Good. Like, how are the kids? They're going down. Kids are insane, but they're good. <laughs> kids are insane, but good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I just run them all day like a pack of wild dogs and. They still don't slow down. Never seen. I've never tired them out. It's insane. It is. It's a really lopsided. Um, it's a really lopsided ratio. Like even, I think about when they're like super young, like that first year. They're sleeping like twenty-two hours a day, and I'm sleeping like six. It's like that's just how does that work out? How are they sleeping so much? I'm sleeping so little. And then at this point, it's like. They take 15 steps to my one or two. Yeah, at the end of the day, I'm like ran into the ground and the kids just like laying in bed singing songs for like an hour and a half. You know, like I just, it's just, it's a really lopsided ratio. Well, they steal your energy. (laughs) They're actually, they're succubi that take everything that you have for themselves. Right. Okay. You're exhausted. And they're like leeches stealing it from you. Yeah. They're so actually like, they can see when that. they can see when you're like getting lower and that they're like going in for the kill almost. There's like, oh yeah, we get that last or that last drop's like the most concentrated. That's, that's the good bit of energy. Right? Good to the last drop. Good to the last drop. Yeah. Distilled down. Distilled down. Well, hey man, I want to start off by saying like, uh, it's pretty I was thinking this earlier, we were talking on the phone earlier. It's cool to actually hear your voice and now to actually like see your face and hear your voice because um, you have been one of the people who I think has like helped get me through this past year just via like text exchange. Like it, it's uh, it's funny because you I guess you don't want to hear the truth or you want to hear the truth. People don't give you the truth and the truth sometimes isn't that bright, but it's nice to know when someone's actually real with you, huh? Yeah. I mean, even so like, just like all the bullshit that we had to go through as a country, as like a people this year, like, uh, you know, as we were watching our country, like kind of crumble and dissolve, like before our eyes every day, it was nice just to have somebody who shared like the same kind of confounded rage <laughs> that yeah that I did like yeah. I mean you know I can't really bring that into the workplace it was a, you know when there's a pandemic so I couldn't you know couldn't just go out and find I don't know you know like it's not like I was gonna go to a bar and say and like get all my get all my rage out but um just being able to like text back and forth through like all the different peaks of insanity that we had to go through both as like a nation and then just like I think what you're referring to is just like more of like 
personal struggles that, that come along with that that we also went mm -hmm. through. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I feel like like we have had a lot of conversations this year, yet this is the first time I've actually like, seen your face and talked to you. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, we have. And uh, a big part of, I think, why it was so... We texted back and forth so much, and it was so good is because we have stupid humor. And uh, I think part of the thing, too, was just that our stupid humor that we understand, yeah, that maybe only we understand, yeah, is uh, kind of helpful. Yeah. In those things. Yeah, man. A little bit of levity that's like so light. Like it's so light, like, you know, even like there's some good dark levity, but even like the, the type of humor is just so dumb and so light that it's just like, it's a relief. It's like, almost feels like, <laughs> you're like, oh man, the world isn't that serious all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. Thanks. Thanks for the past year of banter. Well, I think that kind of brings me to another, another starting point for us here on this episode. Um, stupid humor um kind of brings me back to i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of paint a scene from my memory and i feel like a lot of this episode is going to be there's going to be a lot of reminiscing going on because what people out there listening might not know um a lot of them might know this a lot of them might not um you and i grew up together in the same town known each other since we we're pretty young i think we're going to get there eventually around the time we started really hanging out but um you're the first person who's been on here on this podcast that i've known for this long and have shared this much kind of um this much background in life with um and yeah and i think that like that's a good that's a good thing for people to know that we're going to be going back a lot but i think that what we went through is something that's like pretty universal and so, like I was saying, like starting off, paint a little picture for you. A lot of memories here, and some of them are colored by like how we remember things. But freshman year um, of high school, fall, beginning of the year, sitting mm -hmm. on a bench outside of the gymnasium has like two two kind of goofy looking kids. Um, yourself some pretty bad acne over the face yeah super bad pretty <laughs> super bad acne i said pretty it was super bad you had really bad acne um you know pretty like skinny goofy looking kid myself um a little bit on the chubbier side at that point had a haircut probably looked like a ping pong ball slash like tip of a penis um just my poofy dry hair that like i was having cut by my mom my whole entire life sitting there on that bench just the two of us dressed kind of awkwardly um, in between like a few different styles, maybe I would say, like trying to carve our own path and styles as like the football team would walk out to practice. And, like some of them were friends of ours and kind of look at us with like pity in their eyes. And other ones were just big, big dicks and just kind of like laugh at us. And then the cheerleaders would walk by and then the volleyball players would walk by and and you and I would just kind of be sitting there waiting for our moms to come pick us up from school. Just two dudes trying to kind of like figure out who the hell we were and what was going on. So with that as a starting point, just kind of paint a picture of some people 
I kind of want to go back and be like, what, what, like, what got, like, what got us to there? And like, where, where did you, where did you start out? Like musically, like just thinking back to like some of your, like earlier memories around the house, what was going on musically? Um, well, that's like a pretty awesome. I had a pretty good musical introduction because my mom graduated from Berkeley in 68. And so she was in it. She was a hippie. She was fully in it. My dad was down there and all the um, stories that they have of all the concerts they went to and all the original records they had were mind-blowing so really my first band that i was into was the beach boys like pretty deep into it like four or five years old and then just all those original vinyls of like the beatles the rolling stones um my mom was super into jazz too and so that's something i remember i didn't know that till later until our mutual friend alec alvaria got into hip-hop and like sampling and I remember you kind of being like do you guys talk about george benson man like I've been listening to George Benson since I was four years old. Like my mom had, like your mom steeped in jazz. And like, I didn't really, I think I never knew that about your mom. I was just assumed that she was into like the hippie side of music, but that was illuminating. Yeah, well, what happened down there is that um, she was in all that rock and roll and stuff, but the Monterey Jazz Festival was huge. And everybody, I mean, she's, she still went back down there a couple years ago. Uh, Oh, no way. Really? Like five years ago, 10 years ago. I'm not sure. But yeah, she was uh, she made a trip back to the Monterey Jazz Festival. And Monterey Jazz Festival is like kind of this hybrid where uh, jazz, but also that's where Jimi Hendrix lit his guitar on fire. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, there was kind of a, a thing going on. And uh, that whole pretty sure if you, that song, if you're going to San Francisco, Mm -hmm. Be sure to wear flowers in your hair. I'm pretty sure that's about like going to the Monterey Jazz Festival, as I recall. Um, so, yeah, there was a crossover between rock and roll and then uh, a lot of jazz. And then I dug old jazz, but I never really got into that new jazz fusion yeah. um, stuff. I really do like jazz, but that that never really appealed to me. Yeah, no, I feel you my there. Mom, my mom listen to that stuff too so yeah around the house we had classic rock and roll and then jazz and i think like that was something that so i went like in my, in my memory we really you and i started and then knew you as a person in my school my whole life but in fifth grade we were put in the same class um and that's when I really, that's when I remember you and I starting to hang out and like the kind of friend group that we would kind of later like go on to cultivate. That was when we kind of started to coalesce a little bit. And one of my, one of my like most vivid memories in that fifth grade class is we had these manila folders that we had, I don't know what the, I don't know what they were for. We had, we had kept something in them, but you and I would write just like, I don't know how it started, but like, you know, it's like, you know, kids, like, you know, you see like your older brother, or their friends wrote like a band name on their folder, but we didn't really have folders because fifth grade, but like one of us wrote like probably a band name on there. And then we just kept kind of going back and forth. And I remember just filling this folder 
with just names of bands. It was almost like you would go home and I would go home at the end of the day and like I'd like leaf through my dad's records and just like try to find more band names that we didn't have yet. And I'd like thumb through my dad's cassettes and I think you were doing the same thing. I remember you saying like you would go home and do the same thing. We'd come back and we'd like exchange more and we'd put them down, you know, just like Arlo Guthrie. Like just like yeah. stuff that, like we weren't we weren't ever listening to. We were just digging we're just like just so we could like it wasn't a competition. It was almost like we were mutually like and I think that this is gonna come up again probably in this conversation. Like we got so fascinated just by this like mutual like fascination with our with our parents like vinyl and like rock and roll and like the history of rock and roll that we like basically like created this this like awesome kind of uh, like archive of of rock bands on our on our folders and yeah I think that was like an interesting place for us to kind of like start it was um because we would we would like go home and rifle through them but also like listen to them and i remember giving you tapes and you would tape records because you could mm -hmm. still hook up a record player to your tape player and then tape a tape off a record and i remember you gave me woodstock and yeah uh, we would uh fill up we filled up our notebook by the end of the year with just a lot of rock and roll bands yeah and uh i don't know where that ended up but yeah that was the thing that lasted a whole year and that was kind of probably our big intro to rock and roll like yeah. actually not just listening to it but starting to really dig into it right i think that that's an interesting like that's an interesting point is like that kind of like that complete obsession that we went into it with it was just like dude i gotta go home and like i gotta like we gotta keep adding to this man we gotta keep adding to the list like we gotta keep like we gotta make some like we got to figure out some more stuff but you know fifth grade to me like it's a weird it's a weird time because uh it was actually like it's one of it, it was a huge leap for me i think just like cognitively in many ways but also marked a large transition in my life like that was when i really started becoming more of an independent thinker from like my parents right and so that's an interesting segue because something i might not have really mentioned is those two kind of awkward kids sitting on that bench um we're dressed like some amalgamation of punk rockers those people were yeah. i don't know if people put that together but yeah you know like we were like trying to figure it out right like with studded belts but like maybe like you know like not not quite like the the punk rock costume completely but like we're kind of trying to figure out like our own style somewhere in between like the skate punk thing and like the kind of more like you know the, the punk rock you know whatever costume that, that people would wear at that time as well as just like a little left of center just weirdness which i think goes back to like that dumb sense of humor thing that we were talking mm -hmm. about um yeah and uh i remember thrift shopping a lot at that time a lot of thrift shopping a lot of weird thrift shop clothes and so it was like skater punk uh pins on the backpack yeah uh, thrift shop clothes i don't think flannel shirts were in at that time but i still probably was wearing some 
stuff that I got at a thrift shop, like a flannel shirt and the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, like, yeah, you had some just, Hawaiian shirts. You had some plaids. I remember like plaid button ups were a part of your overall. Yeah, and we never like took anything too seriously. And it, it definitely reflected in our clothes. Like we had some super ugly clothes. <laughs> So like, but this is all going back to like that year of like fifth grade and like, and I think like this is what I'm trying to get to is like how we kind of pushed into punk rock and you were a big, you were a big impetus for me to like go down that punk rock hole. Like, like we did with those, with those folders, but like in a different way, it's like a little more grown up, a little more independence. But I, I was kind of like thinking about it. I was tracing it back, you know, like to like that time around fifth grade when I was becoming a little more like uh, conscious and independent and there was a lot of stuff going on right so like we were in fifth grade uh, the summer after so we were in fifth grade in 94 I believe so that means that year yeah. Dookie came out Weezer yeah, Blue Album came out best, also the best punk rock year yeah. of all time Offspring Smash came out um, like cranberries came out. So, I mean, as far as just like these kind of like big, like punk rock hitting the mainstream and also kind of like some of those alternative, like, like, I mean, like Weezer was like a little bit left of center, right? Like, cause there was something about what came before that. And I think that like, this is what I'm gonna be talking about with styles. Like we didn't fit in the alternative world. No. And you were saying that earlier and like part of it was like, maybe we're a little young, but also like, <laughs> I think it's what you just referred to. Like, I think it was a little too cool for us. Uh, I think it was too, I want to say, um, I don't know if it was too cool for us, but I think it was too cut and dried or it was too clean or it was too, just not weird enough. You know, maybe that's that it. too. I hate to say mainstream because it makes us sound like we're trying to not be mainstream, but we were not mainstream. We were living in Idaho. We were young kids, like uh, wearing baggy clothes. Even in fifth grade, we were wearing baggy clothes. And yeah. Getting in the, you were BMXing and I was skateboarding and snowboarding. And so it didn't really make sense for us to like kind of buy into the, alternative yeah and what I, yeah and what i think i meant by too cool is like those like the alternative people and so like what came right before that like weezer which is like a little bit more like fun i guess as far as alternative goes you know a little bit like kind of left center was like the very kind of like moody heavy like first wave of like grunge right mm -hmm. and i remember like as a young kid seeing like my sister my older sister and her friends this might even trickle down to your brother but like you know, I'd go by like Shaver's Beach, which was like a beach in McCall, Idaho in the summer. And there'd just be like the, the stoners as my parents just very like broadly painted them, you know, and they'd be out there and they're like super baggy pants, cut off, frayed, um, playing hacky sack, um, flannels tied around their waist with a lot of that like early 90s grunge. Like that was like, and like, I thought that was very intriguing. Like I thought that was like cool and kind of scary but like, it also was like, I knew that it wasn't, I knew that that wasn't like me, right? Like I wasn't gonna like, I wasn't like, I couldn't go down there. Totally. So like, yeah. 
uh, I totally understand that, like, because I wasn't into that lifestyle. And I also, like, wasn't into that music. And I wasn't into, like, just kind of being depressed. Like, yeah, yeah. It was a pretty, like, what, I guess fun. that's another thing. Like, when I say too cool, I almost mean, like, the, like, the dour, like, I'm too cool to smile. I'm too, like, you know, like that kind of too cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. That wasn't us. No. And so, like, there was a couple things that were happening around that time for me. Like, one, like, I was beginning to become aware of this shit. Two, I realized that, like, I wasn't really fitting in there. And then also, like, I was having, like, a hard time because that was also the year that, like, I would say, like, in my memory, like, skateboard clothing and snowboard clothing started to become a big industry. Like, around then. So, like, that was the year that, like, it wasn't just vans and airwalks, but, like, Etney started to hit the scene. And, like, shortly after, like, D.C., drawers and like there were like certain snowboard brands that were coming out with shirts and like i bmxed and skied and there was like this like kind of like there was like some kind of police at that time it was like dude you can't wear skate shoes you can't wear the snowboard shirts i'm like but did they make the coolest stuff like that's the cool like the skateboard shoes are the coolest and the snowboard shirts like there were no ski brands making cool clothing at that time you know, and so like I felt like I just felt like kind of just like who who am like where where am I gonna fit in in this world? Mm-hmm. Right? And so like were you ha- like, and I mean at least like you had all the cool clothes, but like what what was also going on in your mind at that time as far as those? Because I mean like like you said like you weren't into that lifestyle either. Like I don't think you were ever intrigued by the lifestyle. Those cool stoners hanging out at the beach playing hacky sack. What were like some of your like, do you remember anything like where, what was your, where was your mind? What were like your motivations to like find yourself at that point? Uh, at that point, I think I tried snowboarding at the end of fourth grade or maybe sooner, but by fifth grade, I was full on snowboarding. I was into snowboarding and like, for me, that already meant that I was like, yeah, wearing those snowboard clothes, uh, starting to sort of like I didn't quite buy into that snowboard music yet because the snowboard music was still that early 90s late 80s sloppy punk and it wasn't until just like a couple years later that that went into like more refined mid 90s punk that like really got us into it so like I hadn't found my identity with that like punk rock music I found my identity with like snowboarder snowboard clothes that sort of thing but we were still like classic rock yeah um that sort of thing and uh so my identity which i think i mean back then i just wanted to go snowboarding and here all these years later uh i still just want to go snowboarding (laughs) uh, (laughs) that's uh that's like where i began i guess this lifestyle of um just kind of seeking out um surfing and snowboarding and kind of a different life that didn't it's the beginning of not fitting a mold yeah it's where it started i would say yeah and so like i mean obviously it wasn't too long after that 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 punk rock saved our lives and so like we've talked about before how 
you know, like in some ways, it's it's it was it was a, it's a weird nexus that we grew up in, in the middle of Idaho. But there was still just like this, these kind of like different pieces of like culture coming together, that kind of made a soup for us to be able to find some of these things like outside of Idaho. And I mean, like, I'm talking like you, like I often re like think about like this exact example of like every time one of our sports teams would go to like any other town, every other kid would just look like they'd, they'd be like farm hands or ranch hands or, um, yeah, yeah. Basically like along those lines or like some kind of like new country type of revolution revolution we're the only ones getting off in like skate shoes baggy pants like snowboard sweatshirts so like just then i guess what i'm trying to say is like when like just talking about like that kind of like how those things to get came together in our lives and like about what point did you start to really find punk rock and like you were just talking about that, like more refined sounds. So, like, where did that come in? How did how did it hit you? And like, and uh, how and what did it do for you? Well, to go back, like, it is funny that you bring that up about us being who we are and looking how we did, and then going to these other places. And like, literally, it looked like you're walking into a country music song or something, you know? And like, these other towns are just the same size as us. They're just yeah. as isolated as us. Even and they're other they're other Idaho towns that their schools may have even been bigger than us, bigger than our school, but like we'd go there and be like, why are you guys 10 years behind us? It doesn't yeah. make any sense. And so uh, I think what really happened here is that um, we have, all of us had actually like really cool parents. We had really cool parents who, um, Honestly, a lot of them were from somewhere else. Yeah. And we all, we like to claim local McCall, Idaho. Everybody likes to claim that, but uh, outside influences are what helped us become like probably maybe cooler than those other little farm towns where the generations just interbred for years and years. But uh, as far as punk rock and music and everything goes, it really, for me, I would say about 12 years old when really got into snowboarding and my brother three years older than me he was 15 and by 15 he was already driving yeah. he had a subaru with pretty loud speakers and he was hanging out with like seniors in high school and so like he was hanging out with seniors i was hanging out with him and his friends i was 12 but we were all like going out snowboarding together. Yeah. So I was like hanging out with seniors as a like 12 year old. Driving up to the ski hill with older brothers, I think is like, there's a huge influence. Like I can trace so much like musical mind blowingness to like getting rides up or down from the ski hill with someone else's older brother and their friends. Yeah, exactly. And so me, getting a ride with my brother or my brother getting a ride with somebody who was even older, like I'm 12, they're 18 and they're listening to no effects or some sort of like punk rock influence. 
And that's how it came to me at 12 years old was through the snowboard culture or through the skateboard culture. They would back up their car to the skate park and then had really loud speakers. I remember the neighbors would get all mad and come over, but they were blasting punk rock. We were, my mom would drop me off at the skate park, go shop and then pick me up. And that's how I really got exposed to, to punk. And I just, it's one of those things that just made you feel cool. Like you're a, a young kid and the music's cool. Like I'm just starting to understand some of the stuff they're talking about. Yeah. And uh, at 12 years old, you don't really understand a lot of what they're talking about. And it's probably better that you don't, but um, it just was cool music that like made you feel cool. Yeah. And I, it was just like handed down through uh, older kids and through my brother. And like, you know, like, I don't want to like, you know, like however much like we've talked about how like we maybe were trying to find our place and that like we were kind of like, uh, you know, outside of like the like the normal realm and we were trying to find our own path or whatever. I do want to say that like, I mean, I think for myself and I want to speak for you, but I could say this maybe with some bit of confidence that part of us did just want to be cool like any other kid growing up and going through puberty like we wanted girls to like us we wanted to be kind of cool like in the eyes of our peers you know maybe that wasn't like our top priority like we weren't gonna like you know like we weren't gonna be someone we're not but i mean that's still that's still there and so when you can like find something that speaks to you that kind of like gives you that that like you know lights that inner fire in you it's like and this like this makes me feel cool like this is a like that that's a powerful that's a powerful tool for someone at that age who's just like wants to like have something of their own that's a little bit awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely like it made you feel cool, you wanted to be cool and I think we were at a point where even if other people didn't think we were cool or only some people thought we were cool like it felt cool to to be cool. Or yeah. feel cool, or feel cool for yourself. Like, yeah, I mean, that's honestly that's still something that you sh maybe should strive for, or it like just feel cool. Like that's you're living good if you're good. if you're feeling cool. I don't know. That's what drive. That's what driving around and listening to music is for. Like, just putting like if you can hit like that music that's like is gonna do that for you, and you're driving your car by yourself, you got some like sunglasses on, you can roll down the window. Like, oh man, that's a good feeling, dude. That's, dude, a, good, that's a good feeling. Just like fucking like rocking it, like just hitting a song that's just got like a bad like rock and roll groove and you're just kind of driving, like, man, that feels cool. Yeah, as lame as it sounds, you just like it feels good to feel cool, even if no one else thinks you're cool. Even if you're not cool. Yeah. Just to feel cool, man. It can it's it's a morale booster. So yeah, hell yeah, dude. Oh yeah, that's what a message. Dude. Do what you do. Feel cool. Feel cool doing what you got to do to feel cool. But um, so going back, one of the like songs that I cite as like in this like specific idea of like kind of like watershed musical moments for me was on a um, we were like at some field trip in Boise, I think, and on the way back, oh, this is a time of compact discs, and we were like trading around 
compact discs we'd probably exhausted like you know we had those big clunky like five cd carriers where you'd actually have to have the jewel case like inside the carrier it wasn't just like yeah sheet. yeah your case logic case yeah yeah you you, you fat, your fat yet. case logic yeah for sure and so like you know you'd, you'd kind of run through your run through your like three good cds and have to start kind of trading around and um uh mutual friend of ours alan busby handed me uh no effects punk and drublet and it was perfect government which like isn't one of their like most famous songs at all it's a cover but like how it like opens up there's just like it kind of opens up like nice and easy kind of lures you in like even if it's easy to be free and then they just rip into like the super snotty just like f word f word f word f word but it's not just like it's not just like blatant like let's just yell the f word to be jerks it's like it's questioning everything it's questioning mm -hmm. everything and like the rest of that song i don't know if i really got at that time because it's all about government <laughs> you know but like what i took away from it was like yeah like like who, who are these people who, who are all these people to tell me like what is going on like who are all these people to tell me what's going on who are these teachers who were you know to, to tell me that like my behavior is is uh you know going to make my friends fail class just because i've already finished my assignment and now i want to try to make people laugh you know like who are my parents to tell me that wearing baggy pants is gonna make me a stoner who who were who like uh the punk elite to tell me that mxpx isn't real punk you know like and I remember like that, like that just like blew, like, and that was like, and I think about that often as like a real punk rock awakening for me was just that like, and that's one of the ways that punk rock saved my life is that it was just like, nah, man, quite like question all of this stuff. Like forget everything that like you've been told, like carve your own path, figure this out. And then also as I got older, you know, I found out like I realized it was about government and then I kind of started like rethinking how I think about politics etc but what were like did you what were like the bands or the moments that did that for you um i think about the way that you just said that with perfect government i think about the no effect song uh what are please play this song on the radio oh, and how it just like hit really hard and they're like cussing and um so funny but it, it wasn't it wasn't rap i remember like rap listening to rap at that same time and being like having a snoop dog tape that i hid from my parents or yeah. that my brother did like he had and it was just like straight up really like pretty offensive vulgar but like no effects came out hot and heavy with f words and they made it like flow yeah and good and i remember um yeah, please play the song on the radio. Having all that and it, but it wasn't like, it wasn't just cussing at me. They weren't just cussing at me. They weren't like, they don't even they don't even cuss at you until they do their, until they do their 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 cutaway. Yeah, um, and so I had the kind of the same experience with that. Um, as far as just like, no effects was really the first band that. 
I just started to feel like um, I needed to pursue because a lot of those other bands, like I, re- I was really into The Who before yeah. that. Yeah. But uh, The Who had broken up 30 years before <laughs> or whatever, you know? Like yeah. you can't pursue a band that the drummer is dead. And Dude, that's- uh, so, like, sure. yeah, No Effects was really the first ones to open my eyes to kind of just be like, you know what? F you. I'm just going to go skateboard and. Right, dude, and there's something that. that about it too. Is it was like, it was so accessible. Mm-hmm. Punk rock at that time, right? Like, No Effects played at Skate World. They played yeah. at an indoor roller skating rink in Boise, Idaho. Dude, our friends, the, the Who, didn't do mom. That. Our friends' mom knew No Effect. Eric Melvin's mom, yeah, or whatever, and we yeah, got dude. backstage passes whenever they showed up in the town. So it was like. Yeah, that's they were accessible. That's how we always got backstage at Warp Tour, man. Yeah, and uh, they were super accessible. Speaking of accessible, it was like that music was accessible because you'd get those fat record signs, and yeah. then they would, they would be like, "Here, send three dollars to get this album." Or they like, they had all these things that they would send you, and then you'd send out, you'd have your mom write a check, and then you would get these um, albums in the mail later, and so like. Punk rock was made for you to have your little underground world that you lived in. And it wasn't, um, it was easily accessible, but not in the way that you like would go to uh, the grocery store. Remember how Paul's had CDs sure. and tapes? And right. You right. Like, reached your hands into the um, plastic things with the holes and then you had to have someone unlock it and stuff like yeah. it wasn't accessible in that way but it was, an, it was super accessible in the way that you could just get those magazines and then send out money and they would send you sometimes they would just send you a compilation cd or a compilation yeah. tape and then you would get this music that would you'd hear a song that would blow your socks off and then you'd buy that album you'd write a check and send it in and so like it was super accessible yeah where and and it was happening it was happening as we were alive and so like that's what was a big game changer for me is that i couldn't get into those i really loved those bands of the classic rock i still do yeah and uh sure i got to see paul mccartney a couple years ago and it was like one of the best shows i've ever been to but like paul mccartney he's pretty he's pretty good musician Paul McCartney's Beatles music came out in the '60s. I didn't get to live that. Whereas, like punk rock, we got to we got to live it, and that's what is a huge difference between like loving the oldies and living the punk rock of the '90s that we got to. And I think like there's something you were saying in there that like struck a chord with me. Like, and it goes back to that idea of like feeling cool and trying to find your own niche. Is that like punk rock? had its own like you had to like it had its own like underground network and so Mm -hmm. it was like kind of like it was kind of like yours in a way right so not only did it make you feel like you were just saying like it sounds cool it feels cool like it feels like something especially in like mccall idaho or even especially in idaho in general like there there weren't a lot of punks around you know like actually i would say at our high school pretty high punk rocker 
population for most high schools in Idaho. I'm guessing yeah. at that point, probably because of the things we were talking about earlier. There was like a lot of transplant people moving to a ski town for whatever reason. But um, just that idea of like you get in like and you start to find like this underground, like this entire underground network, you know, and it goes back to like, you know, when you get a CD or a tape and you unfold the liner notes and you just kind of start looking at like the pictures and it's like, you know, them, like them with another band. And then it's like, yeah. and they're like, in their like, thank yous who they thank. You're just like looking at the bands and you're just like, dude, I got to check out that band. Dude, I check out that band. And then like, you're saying like the mail order stuff. And then like, you're finding like zines every now and then, like, like you're saying, it wasn't accessible, like at Paul's McCall drugstore may have been one of the greatest, like resources to people. They like could this. order it. Yeah. That was a great thing is yeah. you could order it through them. We can come back to that too. But also when you would like find a place like the CD merchant or like record exchange, or like if you'd go to visit family in like LA or another place and you'd find like a little hole in the wall record shop that had like real real punker stuff mm -hmm. you know, like punker t-shirts and like like all these different like all these bands that you'd only seen in the thank you notes you know like that was like that was something that only you knew about right or like at least like that was like something that you had right because like like we're saying like it feels cool but it also feels so cool to like to kind of like just like know about something that other people don't know about like there's something very exciting about that to like have this like this knowledge about this underground world with all this like radness from like a whole like different cities and worlds and like and like you and your friends you know can speak this language and exchange these cds but it's almost like a little like black market economy and like i think that goes back to like trying to like figure out something for yourself that also makes you feel cool it's like trying to figure out that that your niche and trying to figure out how to be cool um but mccall drugstore was an amazing resource and they had a pretty great cd section like you were just saying you could order stuff and they would order anything and then they'd usually order like two or three other things kind of similar i feel like mm -hmm. yeah yeah you because i remember well it's funny because the movie source was right next to the mccall drug and so the movie source would have all the new snowboard movies every year yeah and they would have skateboard movies and all sorts of sports, action sports movies, the videos that had all the cool music in it. Yep. And so like you could, that was step one for me. It was like watching those videos. And they'd put at, the name of the band down in the corner. Yeah. And that's, you didn't have to search for it. There was no, no. Shazam. There was, the best part was like, yeah, when you, uh, they had them in the corner. It was always terrible if they had them at the end of the credits because, like, sometimes they slipped a song in and it got totally off and you, like, order the wrong thing or something. But, like, that was the first step is we were lucky that every year we got the fresh films and the fresh music and then we got to go to McCall Drug. You could order it if you didn't have that, like, magazine mail order. And then yeah. um, they would order – you'd order a Fat Records – Yep. thing and then they would order a couple more cds from fat records or like they ordered the fat record samplers that were survival of the fattest which was three bucks yeah fat music for fat people exactly fantastic and so really really weird to have that in the middle of idaho where our nearest stoplight was 100 miles away in in the mid 90s right like 
-hmm. think like, you know, for some people listening, like that might make total sense, you know, like, oh, wow, that is a pretty fantastic resource for a town of 2000 people in the middle of Idaho in the mid nineties. Um, yeah, basically through a river Canyon to like the next real town to like buy like more mm-hmm. than basic groceries at like a hundred mile trek through like a river Canyon. Um, but for a lot of people, there might be like mid nineties, like you know, that stuff was everywhere, but it was like, there, there was a scarcity really, I mean, of any of this. And it's like, it really was kind of a little Island that we were growing up with in, in some ways. And like, I, I talked to, to my buddy Ross about this on this podcast, but because he grew up in Ketchum about the same thing about that, like these kind of like parallel things that we were growing up in that like, we both had these early exposures to, to punk rock via like the snowboard and skateboard movies basically. And then, you know, also having the kind of like in migration from other places, people who had set up a record store and like actually like order you things and order other things. And like, that just was like such a wild resource for us to be able to, to, to like tap into at that age. Yeah, man. Those other farm towns didn't have that. Nope. No way, man. <laughs> um, yeah. All that, they had to reach in through the plastic thing at, at Paul's to get the collective soul album or whatever the hell is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like that kind of like, we had a lot of stuff there and like part of that accessibility thing going back to that is like you were saying like it's not accessibility like any ding dong at the at you know the supermarket can be like oh what's this but like it was more that like it was accessible in the fact that it was like so um like grassroots mm-hmm. like we're saying like you, you mean like you open up these things they're like hand scrawled like lyrics uh they're thank you notes we're just like thanks to Bill Bob's mom for letting us crash in the basement in Olympia and like, you know, there'd be pictures of just like young punks doing young punk stuff and like and then when the shows came along and we started getting old enough to like go to these shows, like that's that's that other layer of accessibility, right? It was like mm-hmm. these were places and going back because I mean like what's fifteen year old us gonna do at a Who concert? I'm like <laughs> I mean it's cool you saw the who but like i mean and i'm sure like you know like yeah those bands sound great and it's kind of nice when you're older but when like you're young like sitting up in like a bleacher seat and watching a band from a long ways away just like it's not it's there's just it's not as cool as like going to like a sweaty punk rock show in some small like all ages venue and just like one getting out like all that angst like all that but just like teen like angst and confusion and like energy and aggression in like a totally like safe and supportive environment just like run in circles and slam into each other and if you fall down someone's gonna hand grab your hand and pick you up before you get tromped you know and like doing that but also like seeing other people come out of the woodwork who were kind of like you as well. I felt like that was always like, that was something that I really appreciated about going to punk rock shows is like seeing kids from Boise or wherever, like, you know, maybe they were coming over from Ketchum, like, like my buddy Ross was doing and like, 
you know, you just like see these other kids and you're just like, man, I, I don't know who you are, man. But like, we're, we're speaking the same language here. Like we're growing up in this place that has like a dearth of a lot of this kind of culture. But like somehow we found this like sweaty little all ages venue where we're just going to like run in circles and slam into each other and spit and fall down. And like at the end of the night, just feel like high, just high as a kite from like the endorphins of how amazing it was. And like, that is like the kind of accessibility that I'm talking about, about punk rock is like, you are like with the band. The band is there like with you to like, mm -hmm. at, at, like at eye level. Like you're, you're there, like they're sweating on you or whatever, yeah. you know, like um, the whole thing about just us, everybody coming out of the woodwork, like we drove a hundred miles, we would drive a hundred miles to Boise to go see these concerts. And I remember there was like a big contingent from Jerome and Jerome, those guys are like total farm kids. I mean, Jerome's like a farming community. And so those guys, that. I don't remember the Jerome, which, the Jerome homies, they would show up and like, Twin Falls and uh, it was just like this big collective scene of misfits that uh, would come and hang out and the whole thing about like what's kind of crazy about that um, that movement and that not just live music like live music's really cool in it like you can feel everybody kind of like get in some sort of harmony with each other but to mm -hmm. like actually like move and um rock out super hard with each other and just that kind of takes it to a new level rather than just like everybody sitting on a blanket listening to a band because like we would go to the warp tour at the idaho center which was outside you know but you weren't yeah. sitting on a blanket in the grass listening you were like in it with people yeah. who were also your age feeling the exact same way that you did that like you're actually really cool, but nobody thinks you're really cool. <laughs> like you're, um, you're just a dork trying to make it through social Darwinism. Like growing up is socially the hardest time of your life. Like economically, it's so easy. You just go home, your parents make you dinner, all that. Like it's super easy compared to what you have now, but socially it's like, it's the toughest time in your life and to be able to go to uh those shows where people were like they were like you the the bands were singing about you like your life i don't i um hate i hate to say it but blink 182 man they were Dude. they were very helpful at getting through adolescence because they, no they let you know that like uh getting rejected by girls was just fine that like um awkward situations were actually funny you know like all the weird adolescent stuff like they let you know like that's that's not only normal that's actually pretty funny yeah. so um yeah. to to like kind of like have yeah to have that perspective like dude, you can laugh about this like we're all going through but they also like they also had like you know they had songs with heart as well I was thinking about that too. Like that's really what um, a lot of that punk rock of that era is what drew it to me. was the heart is that they had heavy riffs. They had fast 
they had just great rock and roll, but what set them as, apart from the earlier punk rock of just like sloppy, FU, you know, there are a lot of the bands that just like were the FU punks, but then mid 90s, those those bands had the breakdown, you know, like we always, we, they talk about, we talk about having heart and talk about the breakdown of just like feeling that emotion. Um, in uh, like a lot of earlier punk rock, I felt the, the angst, but I never really felt the emotion. And yeah. I think that mid nineties sound is what it had the angst and it had the emotion. And I think that's what really drew it to me more than probably any other music, even now. Yeah. Um, dude, I completely agree. Cause I feel like I listen, like <clears throat> I listen to a lot of music podcasts. I, I read a lot of music literature. Um, and basically like mid nineties kind of like skate punk epitaph fat records kind of punk rock isn't in the story it's in nobody's story right like no punk rock was dead to basically everyone who considers himself a punk rock aficionado at that point and this is going to go back once again to like that kind of misfitism that i think those two dudes sitting on that bench outside the gym were feeling is that like yeah there were a couple punk rockers in like every grade in our high school and like I had to, like, I got into Christian punk because that's what my parents would buy me. Like, they weren't, like, they wouldn't buy me, like, you know, like, early on, like, if they were going to spend money, uh, they weren't going to spend money on, like, a secular punk rock album. I had to, like, go buy those on my own with my own money and sometimes hide them if there was a lot of cussing in them. But, like, but, like, MXPX, like, they spoke to me right like a lot of like mm -hmm. those, the first two albums and like in the same way that those first two blink 182 albums did that like you're saying there's like that angst that speed and it was fast i mean it's faster than any ramones you know any ramones album which was like you know blew the socks off everybody in 1975 right like the speed of the ramones was like breakneck but like <clears throat> you know bouncing souls mxpx Blink-182 is way faster than that. They're funnier, but they could also, like... And they had that angst that they would infuse, like, those, like, real things that, like, that, that people were going through. I think that, like, it's just... It's important on, like, many levels to recognize that kind of, like, that era of punk. And um, as, like... It still is, it still is part of the punk rock story. And that is, like... I don't think people realize how important that was to, I mean, especially this skateboard and snowboard culture, like that, like tied those cultures together. And like later on, really like skiing too, kind of like, and, and BMX, like kind of like, they all kind of circulated around like that, that type of culture a lot. But like those bands also just like, they got kids through stuff just like any other punk rock band did before, just like in a different way. They actually just like, were a little more real about like some of the things they were going through, which wasn't cool at the time. And I feel like I got like, I feel like, you know, every now and then I, I would say like, I call them like the punk rock elite, but like just people who'd like, you know, would discount bands like MXBX and Blink-182 
and even Green Day is like punk rock or like, you know, call them sellouts or whatever, whatever they're going to call them is that like going back to that perfect government song, like, who are you to tell me? <laughs> like, yeah. who are you like, right. like, this is punk rock. Like, don't you get it? Like, that's what punk rock is, is that like, it can be whatever I want it to be. Like, they're going to, they're going to say whatever they want to say and they're going to do it however they want to do it. And it's going to like, if that gets through to someone like that's punk rock, like that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, I remember even in our high school, kids in a grade above us were like wearing their uh, belts that were made out of bullets and all that stuff, telling us that our music wasn't punk rock. That yeah. like, but, and what sucks for them is that they were listening to dead music, you know? Like, we got to actually live that in their. Sure, they weren't going to see the dead Kennedys. Yeah, dead Kennedys, Sex Pistols, all that stuff. It was like, you missed yeah. the boat. You didn't get to live it, and you made fun of us for being able to go to punk rock shows. And it was like, I'll give it to them. It wasn't their punk rock, but it was sure. skater punk. It sure, was sure, our sure, punk sure. rock. It Dude, was yeah. our, it was the sound of, of our youth, and they could have been a part of that. <laughs> and they decided to just listen to dead music. So, bummer sure, for them. Like, I mean, you just said it so well. Like, that was... You know, we were, this is the soundtrack to our life. And we were, and we we're hanging out backstage. Like you just said, like we'd get, like, we were lucky enough to know someone who could get us like a backstage pass whenever No Effects was at Warp Tour, which was every year. Mm -hmm. But like, I could sit there and stand next to El Jefe watching MXPX play from 15 feet away. And like, Dude, none of those people were doing that at a circle jerk show with Henry Rollins sitting next to me. You know, like <laughs> no, you know, like no, they weren't even, they weren't even born yet. No, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. And if they were, it would have been like a really sad kind of reunion tour thing with all those guys yeah. who like have lost the fire to some degree. Or like it, it would have it would have been a sad it would have been sad. But but uh like Warp Tour, I think Warp Tour is one of those really big things that brought together all that culture. Like that might have been the biggest thing to make all of that uh, skateboarding, BMX biking, and punk rock music. Like, yeah, that may have been the biggest thing to bring that all together and make it. It personified that lifestyle, and so I think I missed one, maybe I maybe missed the first Warp Tour and maybe the second one, but after that, I had stickers on my um window of all the ones I went to and it was like I got like eight work tour shows in a row and it was a uh, it started out smaller and then it just got bigger and bigger and more mainstream which was was not a I wouldn't say well I wouldn't say it became more mainstream but I guess it just the scene in Idaho grew yeah people said that it was one of the biggest work tours uh events on their tour and so i think because you'd see there you wouldn't be like oh what are all these weird jocks doing here you'd be like man this is just such a cool thing with all these people that are a lot like me yeah and i thought i thought that um really like represented a, a generation in a lifestyle rest in peace warp tour uh stoked that i got to see that stoked that i got to be a part of that yeah man 
So, as we're, um, like, kind of coming in to, like, the end here, do you think, so all that, all that punk that we loved, that eventually, that heart that was very sincere at the beginning, as that evolution continued into the late 90s, early 2000s, um, punk rock became kind of like pop punk. Not all punk rock, but pop punk rose to the front of like the cultural like lens. Um, And it became pretty saccharine. And like, just kind of like some of the early bands I kind of got. And then it just kind of like evolved into something else. Do you think that like, what are your feelings on like the on on what on on the current station of punk rock did punk rock kind of did it fizzle out and like are you now kind of like hanging out still like thinking about those days when when it was a little more like i don't know underground pure like something something a little different it's really it's really tough to find punk rock bands nowadays that have that heart and that personification of that lifestyle i think there are some that are still around like i still like rise against i think that they come out with like albums that are still like pretty true to that and they're actually even their first albums came out later than that 90s sound yeah Uh, the menzingers are another one that like still have that that thing going on but for the most part if i turn on spotify and i go to like new punk rock i can't i don't even recognize any of it yeah really and so um but do you think that's what like do you think it's translating to the kids who are of that age like when we were at that age do you think that they're still translating to it and i guess one of the things i'm getting at here is i don't know if punk rock still exists i don't know if hardcore still exists like it did and I wonder what, like, that was such, like, a great outlet, right? Like, we just talked about this. Like, that was, like, for us, like, that was an amazing outlet for us on so many different levels. Just, like, on a physical level, mm-hmm. on a bonding level. Like, we'd have, like, you know, we'd drive to Boise. We'd have these, like, deep conversations about, like, you know, I kind of, like, I, I kind of think, like, this, I, I kind of like this girl, you know? Like, what, what do you think about that, you know? And then we'd, like come up with like cool rules like if we're going to like a hardcore show we'd have to listen like you couldn't listen to the same genre so we'd have to listen to like emo on the way there or something and like vice versa um and then like i was saying like you go in there you see all these people your community from all over the place that you didn't know existed and you just feel like you're part of like this bigger thing than yourself and that like you know like here's a bunch of people who get it who like get what i'm what i'm feeling and then you go home and you're just high and you're just riding that buzz all the way back, two hour drive through a canyon, just flying high. Like that's good medicine. That's all like devoid of, you know, criminal activity, <laughs> you know, which, you know, I think is what most parents would be scared of their kids going to punk rock concerts for, mm-hmm. but completely devoid of like the, some of the cleanest fun you can have. Right. Besides, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's the cleanest fun yeah. you can have. Um, and I don't know if that exists anymore. Like, I don't know what, 
like teens do on that like on a musical level in that style like i don't know what the new punk rock show is um but do you think is there something out there that is translating like that uh i i don't really know if uh like so i'll my youtube will keep on playing or whatever and these songs that come on i don't necessarily like them but i can see their heart and their emotion i can see how it can relate to kids in like the same way that it related to us but it's it's like way different music it's way some of it's kind of goth some of it's kind of like electronics mm -hmm. but it's and i i would say that the um that music can still i think i would say that music's always going to translate to the people like that but it's going to be a totally different sound um but as far as that small we were we were seeing it in like really small venues yeah. and i don't know how much that totally exists uh anymore you know the music's out there it'll always relate to people but as far as that um being a super gathering. small super small venue everybody really gathering i don't know you'd have to ask a teenager that <laughs> I have, <laughs> I actually have. Um, I don't know, I was thinking about it as far as like, like our kids growing up, you know, like, I don't know, maybe just the stories of, of these things that we can pass on our oral traditions will like ignite in them some kind of like interest to find or like start scenes that are similar. And it's all probably cyclical, you know, I'm guessing as well. Um, so something I wanted to kind of end on here it's just like with all these influences huge like watershed moments of like kind of like hanging out with brothers starting snowboarding finding like that kind of mid 90s pop punk stride for yourself um like how has that influenced who you are today how's all like everything we just talked about how does that influence how like martin barton martin 69 420 campbell walks through and like deals with like problems on a normal day because i think that there's a lot in there that probably is like is, has, has gotten to here um it's pretty it's it's pretty interesting to like listen to that music and uh still to this day like be taken back to that place and it's pretty it's pretty crazy that music can just like transform you back to being who you were and for me it's pretty uh it's pretty grounding when I like turn that music on, sometimes sometimes you just feel maybe a little lost or you just need to settle back in to who you are. Turn that music on, man, and it takes you back and it kind of makes you remember who you are. So like, I honestly, even today, just today I was listening to Strung Out, Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues. Great And album. That, that album is actually the first punk rock CD that I bought and it was 
blew my mind. And um, I still feel that feeling, turning it on every single time that I felt when I first turned it on when I was 12 years old. Do you get those little, like, little chills, like little hairs on your neck a little bit? Gives you the chills. And it's one of those that you can't just listen to a song. You know, some albums, you can only listen to the album all the way through. And that's one of those albums. And I turn it on and still to this day, it's like, I remember, I feel it. And I think with punk rock, even if I don't listen to it is that much, I, I honestly don't listen to it that much. But when I do, it's like, it, it reminds me of who I am. And I think that's one of the super important things that as you get old, you, you got to remember who you are and you got to stay in contact with your friends and you got to um, keep in contact with your past. And it definitely does that for me. For better or so, worse, man. It's something to, to learn from. So really the weirdest thing is that you should go listen to that Boz Lerman song Suns, the sunscreen song oh yeah now now that you're older it will make so much sense for you it's totally the most non-punk rock song ever but like you'll listen to it and be like god damn the dude's right uh <laughs> so i suggest you go listen to that song but as far as what you said man punk rock it just grounds me it reminds me who i am it it really like honestly sometimes i'll listen to a song and then text you text my friends be like because I got to remember, I got to remember, like, stay in touch with the people who I used to be friends with. And I'm still friends with, but we're just, man, far away. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Well, thanks, dude. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for making the time. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, man, keep on rocking, dude. Play that punk rock yeah. for those kids. Yeah, man. Thanks a bunch for uh, thinking that I'm cool enough to be on your show. Uh, hope I didn't bore the bore the heck out of you, but yeah, I can I can tell you're still wearing really ugly clothes. So yeah, dude. Uh, yep. Some some things never change. Still have a sense of humor that doesn't always land. <laughs> Radical dude. We'll talk to you later. Well, there it is. Me and old Fart and Martin Milk Carton taking a walk down memory lane. Our, our memory lane, of course. Not your memory lane. I hope, though, that it was, as I mentioned earlier, illuminating to people across the spectrum. Substitute in punk rock and snowboarding for whatever it is that got you through those awkward times. Whatever it is that helped you find your identity and a community and a place all your own to carve out your own niche in the world whenever it was. Maybe it was last week, maybe it's happening right now. God bless you if it is, that's exciting. I'm excited for you. You know, I realized afterwards that uh, we never really actually talked about Martin's actual watershed moment. His levy moment that that's on me. I got a little excited, got to the bottom of a very tall drink at that point, was 
maybe focusing on the story more than getting to the point of the podcast, but I did message Martin later apologizing about that, and he messaged me back, and I'm just going to kind of read here what he what he wrote me, because it was pretty beautiful. We talked a little bit about Strung Out and Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues, Strung Out album, really was my punk rock watershed moment. I had been piggybacking off my brother prior to that, and it was the first punk album that I bought on my own. Part of that, I was just listening to my brother's CDs. It was also the one that I picked out on my own without any recommendations or guidance. I had heard the song Somnambulance in the intro section to the snowboard movie TV4. Later he amends that it was TV5, duh. And I would watch that section over and over just to hear the song. When I got the album I was 12, it was May 4th, 1997. Damn, that's specific. I remember that because I had a broken arm and went from a full arm cast to a half arm cast that day and been counting down days until I got it off. I remember that too. I used to pester Martin in the back row of the trumpet section with his big full arm cast because I didn't care about band class. And he did, but he couldn't play because, you know, he was in a big dumb cast. So I just dragged him down with me. Anyway. I went to the record exchange and found that little corner by the window where the punk CDs were. When I got home and put it in and heard the opening bass line, I knew there was no going back. I listened to that record on a repeat for months. Every morning when I woke up, I would listen to it. Every night before bed. That album consumed my life. Whenever I put that album on and hear the song Firecracker, opening track, I'm instantly transported back to my room. That 12-year-old skater kid in a cast. Life's crazy. Seems like just yesterday. Someday, hopefully when I'm 100, I'm going to look back on it and I'll still feel like it was yesterday. It's crazy how fast life is going by. What a nice, articulate young man. No wonder why my parents trusted us to drive down to Boise on a Wednesday night during a school week to go to a punk rock show and come back at 2 in the morning two-hour drive through a canyon. Even though Martin looked like a freak, they knew he was a good dude. That's how stand-up he is. You know what? Life is going by. It is crazy. And that's why, you know, it is important to just take a minute every now and then. Let something strike a chord. Let something pull a memory forward and wash over you and Remind you of a different time, remind you that life is going by and how much you've lived and how much you've gained and evolved from your experiences and how it all fits together and how you have so much more ahead of you. You can treat every day like it's every day or you can treat every day like it's the 4th of July, which is Martin's birthday. And you're out there in the night and the excitement is literally wafting through the air. You can smell it in the sulfur and you have just lit a firecracker. Strung out. Be easy.
Sure thought you were gonna go to jail, put inside a cage, then forced to enlist. Well, last I left, I don't want the body, left with walls, and claw body, shipped up to fight your fucking wars. Cause wars are bad policy, religion, bad economy, and I'm not down to set your country free. Farmer's market math, you know? Heisenberg. Mountain high.